eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. Welcome to the Inside Carolina Podcast. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by Greg Barnes, Gregory Hall, Luke Buxton. That means it is On The Beat Podcast, recording this on Monday afternoon. And if you happen to be around the computer or around your phone, we're doing this live. So it's live streaming on YouTube, Inside Carolina's YouTube channel. As we speak, of course, our sponsor is Johnny T-Shirt, johnnytshirt.com. Take a chance to visit them online or on Franklin Street. And also rate us and review us and subscribe on iTunes and Apple Podcasts and also on YouTube. Get this kind of content delivered straight to your door. Got a lot of basketball to start, but I'm going to bring in Greg Barnes first. Greg, um, clearly the big football news of the week is Robert Gillespie moves on to Alabama. And now the search is ongoing for Carolina's next running backs coach. Where do we stand? Well, I think that the key thing for everybody to know is that this was a little bit of a surprise for North Carolina, um, and that's kind of how these things go, because as Mac Brown told us back, I guess, before the Orange Bowl, um, he, he thought everybody was going to be coming back, but you don't exactly know what conversations your assistants are having with, with other staffs, uh, typically through an agent. And uh, you, they, they can tell you one thing and go from there. And then there's also a situation, which I think this is, is that Gillespie planned to, to stick around. And then you get a program like Alabama has been the, the dominant program in, in the country for you know, a decade now. Um, and I, I think he saw that as a, it was more of a career advancement than it was a financial decision. So uh, that, that happened over the weekend. I think UNC really learned about it on Saturday. Uh, and because North Carolina is in this period of, of a dead recruiting period and because I mean, they may sign one person on signing day in a couple of weeks, but really their next big uh, ordeal or, or what's the word I'm looking for project uh, is spring ball. So, I mean, you got two months, so you don't have to rush here. And if Mac Brown wanted to take his time, he certainly could. Uh, but because Mac has been around for several decades and he knows a lot of people and he's, he's worked for a lot of people, he pretty much knows some of the guys he's interested in. And so, why drag it out if you can go ahead and narrow it down and, and pick a, a few people? And so um, there was some early uh, projections that maybe he was going to go quickly with Larry Porter. Uh, what I can tell you is that Larry Porter certainly is on the list, um, and for obvious reasons, right? Uh, I mean, he's, he's got national championship experience. He was on Saban squad at LSU. 
He coached here in Chapel Hill for three years with Larry, so he understands what the university is about. He understands recruiting dynamics. And then he coached with Mac in Texas. So that's checking a lot of key boxes there. Uh, but there are other people involved. And so Mac uh, is, is moving quickly here, but he is going to interview some guys. And I think we'll know an answer uh, very quickly. Uh, will it be today or tomorrow? Not sure, but I would imagine sometime in the next week or so. When you look at Gillespie's choice, Greg, I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> Was it even really a choice to go to Alabama? When Nick Saban comes calling, um, if the money is remotely similar, I think you go. And, and so that's why I don't think Carolina fans really are too terribly upset about it. They are convinced Mac Brown will hire somebody just as good, if not better. Um, how do you gauge that, though? How do you gauge Larry Porter's success um, compared to Gillespie or these other guys that are in the running? I mean, Robert Gillespie had two running backs in the last two years rush for 4,000 yards combined. Yeah. That's pretty yeah. incredible. It is, for sure. And I think it's really a situation – you know the assistant coaches especially aren't going to stay somewhere forever. I mean, just look at the guys on North Carolina staff. I mean, they've been all over the place. And this is kind of a, a nomad-type profession. Um, and so you, this is just me speculating. But I think with Gillespie, you're looking at, okay, I had arguably the, the best duo in the ACC, maybe in the country, and probably certainly in UNC football history. He doesn't have that coming back. So just because of that, his, his status – right? His stock is as high as it's probably ever going to be. Um, and so if you're thinking of, okay, this is a career advancement potential, whether, whether you, you want to stay in Chapel Hill or not, you've got to really weigh that for, for your future career, for your family, all those kind of things. Um, now, Mac Brown, um, he, he's, he can be challenging to work for. He said that. Uh, but we know how Mac is. Uh, it's very much a family atmosphere. Nick Saban is tough to work for, and he, he makes no bones about that. Uh, and so you hope that, that Robert made the right decision here. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, he, he's got to look at it as where can I take the next step? Is my unit going to be worse next year? And I think we can all agree, if we're looking at this honestly, uh, that running back room is not going to be near as productive as it was this year. That also helps the next guy coming in because they come in saying, look, they lost Javante and Michael Carter. Um, this is an opportunity where they knew things were going to be a little bit down. And so I get to come in and I get to kind of build it back up uh, and I get to do it with Sam Howe at quarterback. So, so those, are, those are good things on both sides. Those are the things the coaches are having to think about. Yeah, I kind of equate it to a player going pro in basketball. So maybe Sean May. I mean, Sean May was never going to duplicate his NCAA tournament run right. again. And he hit while the iron was hot. I mean, Alabama's the standard. There's no doubt about that. So you, you can't fault a guy for going there. And you're right. There's no way. And this is not a knock on anybody in, currently in the running back room. There is no way that Carolina comes close to what they've seen the last two years in production. There's just not. And if, they, yeah. it, and if it is – then we're talking we're, we're talking BCS or college football playoff time next or this time next year. Uh, let's uh, wrap that discussion. Let's go to the basketball discussion. Of course, when I bring in basketball, that means I've got to get Gregory and Luke in. And Luke, I'll come to you first. Um, we've done this for two weeks now. This is our third week with this pairing. We had Ross in place of Greg last week, but 
two weeks ago when the four of us were on, Carolina was in a very different place in basketball than they are right now. So in your mind, just watching the last two weeks' worth of games, what has changed for the Tar Heels? Yeah. Um, first off, I'd like to issue a statement of correction. I put Armando Baycott out of the starting five, I believe, last podcast. And after watching him against State, I deeply regret saying that. As, as he was as efficient as we've seen him all, all year and showed a lot of promise on the boards and also um, – uh, just just had the glass with, with touch with putbacks. Um, so I think like the centerpiece, when Dayron's playing like that, when Armando's playing like that, and then if Garrison can start producing even more, the bigs are looking scary. And as Carolina can get that down and can continually rebound at a high, le- high volume on the offensive end um, and then also finish at the rim will be scary. And then it really becomes the play of Caleb Love. I think Caleb Love in the last three games has elevated – his level of play to a whole other stratosphere that we haven't seen yet. And Carolina, I think, can go as far as Caleb Love can take them. And just thinking back to, you know, previous UNC point guards and their development, I think Caleb Love has had to grow up quicker than a lot of them. And as soon as he can really figure it out, and he's starting to figure it out, and that's kind of where we've seen the, the difference in these last three games. Um, so it's, it's in combination of Caleb Love, guard play, uh, the bigs, and also – you know, Anthony Harris return. He's been great in, in his games um, that he's been back, bringing energy, getting uh, buckets when needed, hitting three-point shots. So I think in all three of those phases, the heels have elevated their game. And Gregory, to people that can hear me on the live stream. I don't think anybody can hear anybody right now. Well, it's going to be on the podcast. So if you're listening <laughs> to me, the audio will be up. This is I a, don't... New, a new venture. Gregory is uh, doing his best to figure it out. So what Gregory's a- figured out is I think they can only go back, watch the live stream on tape delay and play uh, the podcast over top of the live stream. Is that right, Gregory? Yeah. People who are in chat right now saying they can't hear. Can you hear me talking right now? Put in chat if you can hear me talking. Because they don't know what the issue is. Technology. Technology they, said, they said they can hear typing and me breathing, but they can't hear Greg, <laughs> Luke or Tommy. And y'all don't want to. Uh. Can you wait? Can you guys hear me? Okay, Tommy, what's your question? We'll see. Okay, they can hear me, but they can't hear y'all. All All right. Well, it sounds like you just need to nix the live stream. And I might have to. If you'll just let them know, it'll be posted as a YouTube video and a podcast. Guys, we're gonna. I'm gonna turn this off because I haven't figured it out. And you can (laughs) listen to the podcast and the actual video, and you'll be able to hear everyone. So, bye. I'm sorry. Yeah. So. Uh, leave it to the grown person to have to get Dang, it posted man. up there. So John Siegley will save us. I'm going to come to you, Greg Barnes, since Gregory is lamenting his technology lack of awareness. Greg, uh, Caleb Love basically just has finally gotten it somewhat. Isn't that right? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think he's made some significant strides. Um, he still makes some some just careless turnovers. He had two turnovers against NC State in transition that are just kind of head-scratching. But that's part of the process. It's kind of learning, like, oh, okay, I certainly cannot do that, or Roy's going to yank me out. And I think uh, people probably noticed that after a couple of those, Roy did take him out. And Roy's gotten to the point where he's like, look, if you're going to commit these stupid turnovers, and this goes for everybody, I'm taking you out. And typically, it's if you make a bad play, not necessarily a turnover, but a bad play, and you don't box out, for example – uh, you're going to get yanked. 
That's just what he does. He, that's his way of saying, you messed up. You know what you did. Think about it for a minute, and let's not let that happen again. And he's doing that now with turnovers. That's how bad it's gotten. Um, but besides the turnover issue, yeah, I mean, he's, he's not forcing things. He's making better passes. Um, he's confident in his shot. He just looks like a different player when he has the confidence to really try to get to the rim. And when he does that, defenses have to collapse on him. He can dish off or he can attack the rim. Um, and that's kind of who we thought he was going to be. And that's who we saw him as, you know, against Kentucky. Uh, and now we're starting to see it more. So he's got to continue to grow in that area. Um, you know, I, I think the fact that the Corwin Walton is playing alongside of him in the starting lineup, I think that's beneficial because Kerwin is, is not a ball-dominant guard by any stretch. He's a, he's a shooting guard. Uh, and that lets Caleb really run the show instead of him and RJ both kind of having to balance that and figure out who's in control out there at times. Um, but he's just settling in. And when you've got – I think a lot of it goes to Armando. I, I, can't, I can't speak enough about how impressed I've been with Armando in recent weeks. Um, he is establishing position. He is being dominant in the post. He's demanding the ball. And when you have somebody like that, uh, it makes it so much easier for the guards. And you're able to work inside out. And that's not only helping Caleb, that's helping everybody else on the perimeter. I think it's important to mention, too, what we've always been saying is we've been put so much focus on the turnovers, the shooting, offense. But Roy said he has a chance to be one of the best defensive guards that he's ever coached. If he can make the right steps and get you know a couple of improvements, I think that – is something that we haven't been talking about enough. He's done a great job on the defense and guarding other point guards. Um, and it's probably keeps him in the lineup over RJ, who's a little smaller, a little harder to defend, or a little harder to um, get in the face and block shots and, and, and whatnot. So I think that's another part of Caleb's game that's been really effective. Yeah, I mean, he's just all around gotten it. And Dewey talked about it. And the reason I asked the initial question, he's just finally gotten it. We're at the point in the season where in a normal year, this would have happened at the beginning of the season maybe or in the first few games and he's had the opportunity to sort of figure it out to greg's point though the the mind-blowing turnovers whether it's the double dribble or whatever it was at the end the other night or um just you know throwing it to nobody at times i mean he's learning but i do think he's gotten a lot better um and his stats show that but gregory i'll bring you in since you know since the technology side of the show failed for you. I tried. I tried. Let's see if we can uh, get in on the Carolina deal. I, a point Greg made, and Luke nodded, Kerwin Walton being out there has made a huge difference for this team as well, don't you think? For sure. Um, and Roy pointed it out in the post game where it looked like State was going to maybe come down for a uh, come on a run here. And then Curran Wallen answers with two big threes and he'd been quiet the whole game. Right. So he can be the main guy when they need him to be. And then he still has that potential to kind of forget almost about what has happened in that game. Cause I think he, he hadn't attempted a lot of shots leading into that. I'm not, don't correctly remember if that was his first made field goal of the day or not, but he hadn't had a normal game. And I think when they were down in, um, Miami or Florida State, maybe he attempted 10 threes uh, in one of those games. Which one was that? Uh, yeah, that was the Florida State game. He attempted 10 threes, and he attempted five against State, and he hadn't really made one until then. And so that's where his shooting comes into play. And when UNC needs a shot, 
they've got Kerr and Walton to go to go with one. They don't need to force one out with Caleb, even though Caleb has started to obviously turn it up like you guys were talking about. But Kerr and Walton doesn't make a lot of mistakes that Caleb and RJ do. And I think that's because Curran understands his role and is doesn't have the high ceiling that Caleb and RJ do. So maybe he's playing, tries to play more within himself. That's just my observation. But yeah, I mean, the team's better when Kerwin is on the floor. And I think that's why he's been starting for as long as, as he has. Yeah. And he's come back to earth a little bit. He's now at 41.8%. So 42% from three, but you're right. Those ones against NC state were timely. Luke he's Bucks. got such a he's got such a smooth shot though. I mean, just just kind of thinking back, uh, Donald Williams sticks out to me just as somebody who has such a fluid shot. And I think in a couple of years, Kerwin is going to be similar to that. That if he gets any kind of look at it, you think it's going to go in. And uh, you know, Wayne Ellington was a guy like that. There haven't been many though in North Carolina where as soon as they took an outside shot, you thought it was going in. But we're getting to the point where I'm starting to kind of think that about Kerwin. We talked about on the podcast, I think, Gregory, you mentioned this. The one thing I think he has to improve is being able to catch and shoot with the quick release. Like, come off the screen, get the ball, and be able to hit it down. It seems a lot of his shots have come kind of settling in, have a moment, and then be able to take the shot, feet set, or pump fake, dribble right, and then pull up. I think the the next step is going to be, can he be a catch and shoot guy? Is people are able to defend him more on the wing? How can he create his own shot? And he's done that well at the pump fake dribbling but i think like the coming off the screen flaring out maybe for a for an outside shot is the next step in his development yeah and i started to say there uh, and to greg your point i said asked dewey i said he looks a lot like wayne ellington shooting but dewey said while the shot the stroke may look similar the difference in ellington and a lot of guys is it's a jump shot for those guys and that's another thing that walton doesn't he doesn't have a jump shot or he doesn't hadn't shown it they're mostly set shots and I think right. those type that you know the catch and shoot you got to get used to guys got to get used to where you want it and there's a pocket that shooters want it in but Greg when you compare him to guys I don't know of a Carolina player that had certainly as pure but it, Donna Williams was three feet off the ground when he shot his jump shot Wayne Ellington was doing the same. I mean, I can't, I'm trying to think back over the course of watching Carolina basketball. I don't remember a guy that was really a set shooter like Walton is. Can you think of one? I can't. Yeah. I'd have to, I'd have to think Andrew long and hard on that. Play tech. Play tech, yeah. um, what about Danny Green? What would Danny, how's Danny Green? As a shooter? Yeah. He kind of has that set. Yeah. And I think some of that too kind of comes with, with time and experience. Um, Cause I mean, you know, we can talk about Kerwin all day, uh, but he's got a lot to develop and he's, he's got a smooth stroke and that's going to benefit him and get him a lot of playing time. Uh, but he, he does, he has to understand how to, how to move without the ball. Uh, he's got to expand his, his offensive skill set a little bit beyond just that outside shot. So I, I think you'll see him develop quite a bit, but yeah, it's a unique stroke for sure, Tommy. Uh, but it's, it's certainly smooth. Yeah. And, and, being able to elevate on a jump shot will give him more opportunities as well yep, because, sure. I mean, go back and look at some of the pictures of the great jump shooters. I mean, it doesn't matter if you get there. If you're late, there it's over. And Walton's had to maybe double pump or to take that dribble right or left, like you said. 
Um, you talked about Baycott, Greg, and I want to stay with Baycott. And Luke, I'll come to you on that. Baycott got hammered at times last year, ended up averaging, what, 11 and 8 or something decent as a freshman. Um, this year, looking at his stats, I mean, if he got the – you know, if you're talking about preseason ACC player of the year, this guy could have gotten it, you know, based on stats alone. 64% from the field, 64% from the free throw line, averaging 7.8. What has clicked for Baycott, Luke? And I'm, I think I know, but I want to see what you have to say. I think it's continuing to develop touch on the rim. His reading here now, his uh, field goal percentage jumped about, let's see, 13% from 58.7% to 71.4% this year. So freshman to sophomore year, about 13% in field goal percentage. So I think it's one is continually developing – his move, which they practice all the time, uh, you know, Dayron mentioned in the post game, uh, last game, how they practice primary move and then counter move. And I think that's really something that we've seen starting to click with Armando. He's developing that touch. He has some moves to go to. He's confident. Greg mentioned he's demanding the ball. He wants it. He wants to be a part of the offense. I think we saw didn't see that as much last year. He kind of like, you know, sunk into the offense, wasn't a big part. And then also he's just been so much more aggressive on the boards. I think that's be translated to a lot of easy points um, of putbacks, just these, these easy points that he's able to get um, through just being an inch away from the rim. And then also I think his defense is really good. You saw that block um, last game, but he's really been able to provide a lot of good help defense. And he's a big presence in there. And he's, he's been able to, you know, provide looks, great looks on both sides of the ball. Yeah, and, and like I mentioned in our little Slack topic, he's healthy. And, and he was never healthy last year after uh, – was it Ohio State when he just – when everybody that saw that said he's done. Yeah, he rolled his ankle and then he was like miraculously back for the Virginia game, right? And everyone was like, how is he on the floor? And Which yep. is the nature of ankle injuries is just sometimes they hold you out for a month plus, sometimes you're back. But, yeah, to your point, Tommy, he was dealing with that for most of the season. Um, and he kind of felt like he could play through it, and he obviously played through it and put up decent numbers. But now that he's healthy, he can – it's obviously affecting his play for the better and how consistent he can be. I mean, he's got the best offensive efficiency rating on the team, um, him and Kerwin, by miles over everyone else, looking at Kim Palm stats right here. Uh-oh, we're going to get into the stats. I know Greg likes those Look stats. Look at his like – he's itching at he's itching at the bit over there. But here's the, uh, here's the stat that matters most. And we right. talk about why this North Carolina team has maybe not met expectations thus far. Armando's got a year in the program. He's been through his freshman year. He's gone through an offseason of, of workouts. He's stronger uh, to Luke's point. Um, he understands what he's supposed to do. He's more confident. What's happening? He's playing a lot better. Um, and so when you, when you project forward this freshman class, I mean, you can see how there's going to be immediate improvement a year from now, but for all the reasons we've already discussed in recent podcasts, because of the, the hell of 2020 and you've had the limitations with workouts and games and scrimmages and all these things, these guys are just, just behind schedule. And that's, that's what everybody's having to deal with. Yep, and it's not just Carolina, but it yep. doesn't make it any better for Carolina fans to observe it sometimes. You can go from just horrific basketball in the first half against Wake Forest to decent basketball to that's pretty close to Carolina basketball against NC State. So, 
to that point, Tommy, two best teams in the country are here. Gonzaga and Baylor. Either you, I guess you could, yeah, I guess Baylor's there, but like it's Gonzaga okay. and everyone else. No. Yeah. So, so Baylor's not starting a freshman, and Gonzaga's starting arguably the best freshman in the country, and that's it. And he does, yeah. and Sug is so good because he's got all those guys around. That's right. Yep. Nim, Nim Hard. Yeah. I mean, Corey and Kispert also- and Tim or Timmy are like watching them play is incredible. They literally don't even think. Kispert's game is. I love that guy. I love his game. I it's mean, just smooth. Yeah, Greg, do you think this is, go ahead. Do you think this is just the pandemic? Just, you know, no summer ball, not enough reps? Or do you think it's kind of just, you know, we maybe see some ebbs and flows of one and done? Yeah, I think that's certainly part of it. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, we could have this discussion later, but I think everybody thought that when Calipari showed up at Kentucky and started the one and done, that that was the wave of the future. And then Duke did it. And so you had two powerhouse programs going the one and done route. And what happened? They won two titles total. And then they had a lot of early exits. Um, and then you see what Roy Williams did in 16 and 17 with guys hung around. And then even in 18, getting a number one seed. Um, a lot of teams did that too. So yeah, I'm not ready to stick a fork in the, the one and done crusade, if you will. But I think that's a very valid, valid point. That'll be – this could be an interesting podcast at some point to discuss the one-and-done from phenomena and whether or not it was worth it for programs. Yeah, and then and I guess it depends on what, what worth it is. But Right, and there's a difference. I think when people look at one-and-done, they say, oh, well, Marvin Williams was one-and-done. Not really. Like, Roy had to tell Marvin – you need to go. You're going to be a top five pick. Like, get out of here. Marvin's like, well, I want to get my education. No, you need to go. That's different than guys come in and saying, hey, I'm going to be there for one year. I'm going to take classes for one semester, do phantom classes for the spring semester just until I'm ready to declare and go, and then I don't have to worry about taking exams. Those are two completely different things. I mean, Kobe White necessarily wasn't set on leaving, and he kind of had to be helped out the door a little bit. So the mindset's different, and that's – that's part of the distinction there. Yeah. And, it's and I always love, oh, go ahead, Tommy. No, I was going to, let me take a break and then we'll come back. We'll talk more about it. Cause we got to talk about Johnny t-shirt and Johnny t-shirt.com. They, they need our support. They need everybody's support on this podcast. They need everybody's support. That's listening or watching, go visit them on Franklin street or visit them on Johnny t-shirt.com. And if you're premium subscribers to this wonderful inside Carolina website, you get 10% off your order as well. I know Jason Staples loves that portion of it. Anything with a deal, guys like Jason Staples are going to eat up. So visit them. Take care of them. They take care of us. They're great friends. And they're alumni owned and operated. Take another short break. Let the national guys pay the bills. We'll be right back with On the Beat, which it was live until Gregory messed it up. Tommy Ashley, Greg Barnes, Gregory Hall, and Luke Buxton. We'll be right back. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? 
Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. <laughs> All right, we're back. I didn't mean to kick Gregory when he was down. It's the only beat podcast. Gregory Hall. We had 15 people in there. 15 whole people. <laughs> I let I let him down. You 15 did. people stayed to- for just... 15 minutes of silence. Well, they kept, I was Dedication. confused because, like, I saw my mic thing going and, like, I was looking at the bars and the mic was going up and the desktop was going up and I could, like, the desktop audio and I could hear y'all. And then the comments are like, I hear breathing and typing, <laughs> breathing and typing, breathe. I'm like, uh, yeah, that's not, right. I mean, I think they somebody asked who the mouth breather was last show, too, and we weren't trying to do it live. So I physically <laughs> cannot breathe through my nose. So. <laughs> Man, this is too easy. Listen, where were you going, Luke, right before the break? I'll let you take it and, and go back to where you were before the break. Yeah, I'm kind of on this one and done topic. And um, Greg mentioned earlier in the show, and we're kind of talking about Caleb Love's um, development. The best Roy Williams teams are teams where these guys stay two to three years. I think Armando's jump, and it really reminds me of Marcus's page jump from freshman to sophomore year. People were on Marcus Page. So much in his freshman. He averaged 8.2 points a game. Sophomore year, 17.5, right? Like, and we haven't gotten to see, you know, with Kobe and, and Cole, we haven't got to see that point guard jump as we did with, you know, Joel Berry three, four years ago. So I'm really excited to see kind of where this team can go, not only this season, but then kind of seeing where everything shakes out because Armando has just been – and Garrison too – have just been great testaments of guys in the program who stuck with the program and reaped the benefits. Not everyone does it, um, but I think guys like Caleb, you can really start to see, and Armando, we have seen the jump that they've made after freshman year. I mean, the problem is nobody stays anymore. I yeah. mean, you got to talk guys yeah. into staying. So the question is, they're going to make a freshman to sophomore jump, but is it going to be at Carolina? Or but who's leaving? Stay? I mean, other than Sharp, who's who's going to leave this year? Well, you're going to lose Garrison. Right, but I mean of the freshman. Oh. Who could? I, I don't Saying think it's I, a done I deal. That, I don't think it's a done deal that Love is in Chapel Hill next year. I mean, I don't want to get into all that, but, I mean, I don't think it's a, a done deal that he stays. I don't think it's a done deal that Sharp goes. Yeah, I, I agree on the Sharp thing. Do you think Caleb Love could – develop and be an NBA point guard by next year? No. no. Depends what his well, agent tells him. Well, then what What do you mean you're not like – Some guys go, and I'm not talking about Caleb specifically, but look at these guys that go every year and then go play in the NBA whatever it's called. Okay. Okay, I see your point then. Right. A lot of guys go overseas. I mean, I don't know. I mean, yes, if they stay – We'll go with the caveat is if this bunch stays together, then they could be really, really good next year, I think. But I just don't know if it happens that way. And that's I think that seriously affects how Roy Williams recruits. I mean, uh, he's always been that way. He doesn't want guys – he doesn't want to be a revolving door. It's not a bad thing to have one. Kobe White had to go, you know. 
but he likes to have like Luke mentioned guys like Joel Berry that are there and are seasoned. And it's why we mentioned Gonzaga and Baylor have one freshman playing between them and why they're so good this year, especially. So I don't know. What do you think, Gregory? Who stays, who goes? Put you on the spot. I think the only person that should consider leaving is Daron Sharp. Operative and work I too. think I think he should. That's the only reason he should consider it. And I don't think he should just because the NBA is not a big man like center league anymore until he develops a jump shot. Like I don't remember which press conference it was. I think it might have been the very first one we talked to the players. And Garrison said he had a little Joel Embiid at him. We haven't seen that. I think he made a jump shot against State. And it was not the prettiest thing in the world, but it went in. But I mean, that's what you need to be in the NBA, and he doesn't have that yet. But, but he, he is, is strong, and he's a really good basketball player. He is an athletic freak, and the, I think he is a unique specimen. And um, yeah, I, I could see him. I think he's surefire first rounder, and depending on how things play out, he can be higher. It's just amazing to me how times have changed over. 20 years where you got guys like Vince Carter and Jameson stayed for three years where yeah, she's lost in Stackhouse stayed for <laughs> two years. I, I mean, even Lawson and Ellington stayed for three years. I mean, it blows my mind to think where Carolina basketball would be if all those guys were to stay just one year, it'd be a completely different yeah, program. Brandon Wright left after one year. And, there are plenty of people that are, love Carolina basketball, and you say the name Brandon Wright, and they don't remember him. Yeah, that's a different conversation. <laughs> well, everybody remembers Marvin Williams. Why? They won a title. Exactly. Well, the Duke shot, too. So. And the Duke shot. So, uh, it's just – There's I'm, your segue, Tommy. The Duke se- shot. Yeah, let's segue into a, a topic that is relevant – since we have Luke Buxton and Gregory Hall here on the podcast as, as student interns covering basketball. I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, you have an interest in it, whether or not you believe it or not, or say it or not is coach K's a response to, I guess it was the Chronicle reporter. Jake, Jake Piazza. Yeah. So, yeah. Sophomore Chronicle. First, so he, first post game, first post gamer, <laughs> which I have, a, I've, it was his first post game question that he's ever asked. So Which I have a fun story about, about my me, first press conference. I want to going. hear it. I want to hear 100%, but let's set the table here. Carolina, uh, or excuse me, Duke loses over the weekend. And now all of the post games are done via Zoom. And if people are listening to this or watching this, don't know that. Even if you cover a game in person, you still have to do a Zoom with the head coach and the players. So it's a completely different dynamic these days. Um, and and – a Duke student newspaper guy covers his first game and Gregory, I'll let you take it from there. Yeah. And I mean, he just asked coach K, which I don't know people on Twitter, people on Twitter, but he just asked coach K what, like basically what are the next steps forward following this game? What's your major Gregory? Yeah. (laughs) What's your major? And as Jake put it, he put out a column either today, I think it was today. And I read it and, he called it a less than ideal answer to the question and it didn't really bother him as much as people, people called it a haranguing and things like that. It was not cool by coach K to dumb it down for the student reporter to 
ask him what his major was and be like, all right, what would your next steps be after you just took the hardest econ tests in the world? By the a, way, the hardest econ test is Louisville. A road ACC game against Louisville is not the hardest econ test in the world. But just – you make eight – I don't know how much he makes. He makes a lot. Just answer Nine. the question. Nine. Or if you don't want to answer the question, just say – I mean, Roy gives bad answers all the time, right? But if you don't want to answer the question, just say, you know what? I don't know. Or, or you say, look, we're not thinking about that. I'm thinking about right. how to talk to my team. Classic Larry Fedora, I need to watch the tape, right? <laughs> well, yeah. But, I mean, but, but you said it was his first ever question he'd asked. That's what he said. Or at least it was his first postgame. I don't know if it was his first question to him, but to Coach K or things like that, which that that takes me back to uh, – Luke, I'll let you get in here to say what you want to want to say about it. But that takes me back to my first Roy Williams press conference. I'm a junior. I, uh, I'm down there in the bowels of, of the Dean Dome, and it was after one of the exhibition games, right? And the whole battle of preseason was Kobe versus seventh, who's going to start? And it kind of emerged that Kobe was going to be the starter, and he ended up starting. So Ross, the, the fantastic Ross Martin, asked veteran, – Veteran leadership. Right, right. I think he asked a question before you did, Greg. So this was my first, obviously we had gone through football, but this was my first question of someone that I was working under, right. That I was experiencing. And Ross asked him about what went into the decision pretty much to, uh, to like to start Kobe over seventh, but then Ross and classic uh, journalism blunder answered his own question in the question and so he was like, was it, was it that Kobe was just playing better in preseason and things like that? And Roy goes, no, I started him because he was playing worse than seventh, blah, blah, blah. Like, that's not a direct quote. And then Roy goes, sorry, like he said it, Roy got kind of fired up when he said that. And he was like, no, no, like, sorry, I'm not making fun of you. Actually, yes, I am, because it was a stupid question. <laughs> and I'm sitting there. Like, this is Roy Williams. Like, I grew up watching, like, a Hall of Fame basketball coach, and I'm like, I'm never asking a question ever if it's going to be a stupid <laughs> question. So that's my first That's my first post-game experience as a reporter, which I and wasn't even to me, and I know how I was feeling, so I don't – so, yeah, so that's just – be nice to student journalists. Or, if you're Ross, don't ask dumb questions. Well, Matt gave Ross grief. Everyone gives, Ross, everyone gives Ross. Everyone gives Ross. I got called a. I got called a jerk by Mac. Uh oh. It was out of love. It was out True, of love. You did. It was out of love. Let's but go, I Luke. Called a jerk. Luke, what's your what's your first story? Your your first love story. So I'll say one thing on the the comments, and I'll say about the post game. The comments first. The the e contest. If we're under the analogy that I got a grade back, like he got the score at the end of the game. I would have a great answer to if you bombed your first e-contest, how, what's your next step? I would hire a tutor. I would put more time into studying on Sunday nights instead of you know, going out or something and doing this. It would be a very simple answer. So I think the, the fact that there was no answer to the question is ridiculous. Um, it also reminded me, my dad told me a story of uh, Seth Davis back in 1990 when they gave midseason grades in the Chronicle and Coach K invited them in the locker room and chewed them out. 
um, back in the nineties, which I thought was a hilarious story kind of that goes with this one. That was when I was at Carolina and knew a really? couple of those people. They thought they were getting an exclusive. No, yeah. <laughs> they I, did. I so they got an exclusive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm sure that would have been wow. I um the only time I've been terrified, I, I honestly I will ask Matt questions left and right. I'm a little more hesitant to ask to ask Roy questions. Um the one time I asked him a question and I thought he was done. And I went to go a follow-up, and I think he thought I was, like, combating his response, and I got hit with the, listen, son, I'm explaining it to you. And after that, I don't think I asked the question for the rest of the season. I think I was just doing my job. I pressed record. I listened. And, um, but it is – I mean, these guys are Hall of Famers. You're, you know, you're 20 years old standing in that room. These, you're asking Hall of Famers questions. Um, so, so I'm Jake – is that his name, Jake? The – Man, if he can ask a question for the next, for the, you know the rest of the season, just with all the media and kind of things that are surrounding, when he raises his hand and gets called on, props to him. That, that Coach takes K some, called well, and apologized. Yeah, and I, I respect say, that. I respect yeah. that a lot. Hopefully for him, that the next opportunity he has, he asks the question just to bridge the gap, be done with it, um, and not to defend K because uh, you know K K is K. But the setting that we're in, where we're having to operate via Zoom, it completely changes the, the setting. Um, you know, back in, I'm trying to think what year it was, 2010, maybe 2011, um, Michigan State came to Chapel Hill for a uh, ACC Big Ten game. It was a big game. You know, I think they were both top ten at that time. Um, and a guy in the front row who was covering Michigan State – was poking and prodding Roy about one of the guys that had signed with him. Um, and he was just, it was clearly trying to bait Roy. And Roy was doing everything in his power not to snap at the guy, not to give in. And what happens? Uh, we get through the press conference. The next day, this guy runs some column and it's this massive shade on Roy for no reason. He, he, he knew what he wanted to do. He was trying to get a quote and trying to get a rise out of Roy. And so the next time we get together with Roy, he highlights and says, look, the guy was sitting right there. Y'all knew what he was trying to do. This is the mess I've got to deal with. And when you take that personal interaction out of play and we're all on Zoom, it's understandable that the coaches are kind of a little bit on, on edge. And when you add in that Coach K is not used to losing – now he's losing. His team's not playing very good. He's gotten a lot of heat this year anyway. Um, I'm, I'm sure there was a lot of a lot of angst already there, and he just had to snap at somebody. And it just happened to be <laughs> this student reporter who was asking his first big question. Um, not to defend Kay there, but I mean it wasn't a hard it wasn't a hard question. Well, I agree. I agree. I'm, I'm not not doubting that. But just the ability to sit in a room with the coach and have him understand what you're asking and kind of look in your eyes and get an understanding of the feeling that changes things. Um, you know, and I see it with Roy. I've had a number of sit downs with Roy over the years and he's like the nice grandpa. When you sit down with him, just chat with him for 30 minutes. He wants to talk golf. He wants to talk all kinds of things. You got to have to get him back on track with the basketball stuff, but you put him there in a press conference where everybody's kind of judging him, looking at him, um, it changes that dynamic. And then when you do it over Zoom, it changes it even more. So, um, I mean, Roy said that word a couple weeks ago, right? So, I mean, 
it's uh well and also like what i've thought about this a lot like when like i know what it's like on our end on our zoom because i can click back like i'm on my computer on zoom he's sit they're sitting like i don't know what they're you like what they're looking at because he's still sitting i have no idea i think it's just a computer is it is it just a computer and i think so yeah i guess so yeah but still it's got to be different for him i mean he's been sitting down in press conferences for longer than i've been alive and he's had to adjust to this and they all have but yeah it doesn't excuse just just answer the damn question is what i thought (laughs) and if you don't want to answer the question if you don't want to answer the question then pull a pull a Larry and be like, I'll have to look at the film. I don't have an answer Great. for you right now. Do you guys remember last year for state when he, we won twice? And I think that someone from the DTH asked him if he thought it was a rivalry anymore. Clearly trying to get yeah, something. That was, uh, yeah. that was, him, that was uh, the great told, Brian, Brian Keese. Oh, yeah. they told He told him he needed to go back to college. <laughs> yeah. He said, you need to stay in school, son. You think I'm going to answer that damn question? Yeah, right. yeah. That's right. <laughs> I mean, when you get to eyeball people, though, it changes a lot. I mean, Greg – You've been doing this, and you widely considered the best one around. But the first few times that you covered, um, you know, Roy Williams or whoever it was at the time, Matt Darty, I guess at the time, who was it? When did you start at Inside Carolina? Full time was with Roy. Okay, so, but the first time you sat down, he doesn't know you from Adam. He doesn't right. know anything about you, and you have to build that rapport. I mm-hmm. mean, talk about that process for you, Greg, to get in where these guys respect, not only is there mutual respect, but to have mutual respect, you have to have it towards you as the, as the writer, as the reporter. Yeah. Let me, and get, my, let me get my notepad out real quick. You need I to will, take notes. I'm trying it's to help difficult. you aspiring journalists. It's difficult here for um, Gregory and, and Luke and, and everybody trying to kind of get their, their feet wet in this business because you do lose that personal interaction. And that's, that's such a key part of it. But it really is. It's a matter of, uh, you know, Used to be when you'd walk into the press room for a press conference, you got 25 people in there. And over the years, I mean, those faces changed dramatically. And so it takes time for Roy to be able to say, okay, well, I've seen this person sitting over here and you have three years in a row. Like, okay, so they're, they're kind of around and they kind of understand. Um, but it's also, I mean, you know, if you write good stories and good, good content, they read that stuff. They say they don't read anything. They read a lot of that. And the SID office kind of shares stuff that's relevant. Um, and so they kind of get an idea of, of you know, who's, who's fair. I mean, you don't have to be rah, rah Carolina to, for Roy to like you. You have to be fair and you have to be professional and all these kind of things. And he respects it. He's kind of old school in that regard. And I, I think Kay's for the most part, the same way. Um, yeah, it just takes time and it, it takes that trust and it takes being able to ask tough questions, but fair questions um you know roy's shot back at me a number of times i've asked questions i know he doesn't like that's part of it i mean the the coach reporter relationship doesn't have to be happy um it, it, you know, it can be adversarial at times that's, that's part of the deal but there's a respect there and a professionalism there and as i said when you're trying to do it over zoom and trying to build that relationship ah that's that's tough and so i'm at, there's no doubt that i've relied on my relationships that I built before COVID hit. And that's kind of carried me through the past year. So uh, I, I hate it for everybody trying to make their way through this business with having to do it via Zoom and technology. Do you remember your first press conference with Roy? I do. It was a summer press conference. 
Uh, and I asked a question about Will Graves. And uh, I had the story all planned out that I was going to do something on Will Graves, the, the summer story. And Roy didn't want to talk about Will and completely changed the topic and started talking about somebody else and gave me like a three minute answer on another player. And I'm like, I've got to do a story on Will Graves. Do I ask him another question? Be like, you didn't even answer my question. And I didn't. Uh, and so I had to change, I had to change on the fly. I had pre-written the story and everything. I just needed to quote the plug in. And I learned very quickly. That's not a, that's not a safe way to go with Roy. <laughs> See, I've been doing it since 98, 99. So Guthridge, um, right when Dean retired Guthridge and then Matt Darty, and then a little bit of Roy and I'll let you young boys take over. But I was born in 1998. Come on, man. You don't have to bring that up. No wonder you couldn't get the technology right for the live stuff. You're too young. Uh, but it is interesting to see, and all coaches are like this, is the difference in not winning and losing a game or two, but when it starts going south, like I don't want to get into the Darty stuff, but Darty was great to start with. And then it started going south, and that whole tenor changed. And Shashevsky's dealing with his, his teams aren't winning and he's there, you know, he's having to show up. So I feel for the kid, like Greg, Greg said, it's tough for journalists to do their job in the way that it needs to be done because it's what you guys are doing now is there's no relationship here. Uh, I mean, and that that's huge because like Greg said, you don't have to like somebody, but if you can trust them not to BS it or, write a bunch of stuff that's inaccurate or whatever, they're going to treat you with respect. And, you know, good luck, Gregory. Good luck, Luke. We got anything else for On The Beat podcast, Greg? Uh, I just I'll, ask, to... I'll ask this um, on, a different, on a different note. Who thinks this North Carolina team is, uh, is really good right now? Look at you baiting us. You you were baiting us to. I thought it was a valid question. I think define define your define your ramifications of your parameters are very good. I've just seen a lot of people say, "Hey, they won five out of six, and they're playing so much better." And I'm sitting there looking at the schedule, saying, "Well, we talked in the preseason that they better win a lot of these early games, or else they're going to have no shot at the tournament." The only team so, they played that's any good is Florida State. And, without uh, without their best player, yeah. And, and like I, the, if they if they beat Pittsburgh, if they can beat Virginia somehow, or, you know, beat Duke, then we'll have a different discussion. But right now, I just think the ACC is Virginia, Florida State, and toss everybody else up in a. In I think Louisville is up there, but yeah, but yeah. Is this coming out before the pit game tomorrow? Yeah, this is coming out like right as soon as it hits. It's supposed to be live, but uh, oh yeah, out. okay, all right, easy there. <laughs> so I was right. I wrote the pit preview today, right? And I know Justin Champagne's good. I know Xavier Johnson's good. Xavier Johnson lit UNC up for twenty last year or something when Pitt got out to a 43-23 lead there in the first half. But I was looking at Pitt's schedule, and here let me let me pull it up again. But um, they. Beat Sarah, they beat Miami by 15. Their non-conference schedules, whatever. There was not anything to write home about. But they beat Miami. They lose to Louisville by 10 at home. Louisville's good. Okay. Then they beat Syracuse. 
Then they go on a 10 day pause. They smack Syracuse. They beat Duke and they looked good doing it. Then you lose to Wake Forest by one. And it's just, I'm like, and looking at, they're just, they're really inconsistent. I can't necessarily figure out this pit team because, I mean, their defense in conference games was like, has been number one as far as efficiency wise in conference games. But then their offense has almost been as bad as UNC's. But then you look at their, games and like they're putting up 96 points against Syracuse and 79 against Duke but then you look at the stats and Pitt and UNC are two of like the worst two-point shooting schools like teams in the conference so I can't really figure out this Pitt team so I haven't been able to decide I mean obviously all road wins are good wins in the ACC usually but I just can't figure out how much this win would help Carolina as opposed to if they should just win it like should just win it you know what I mean that makes sense. Uh, basketball is all about matchups, right? Who guards Champagne? Champagne. Leaky. Leaky. Uh, who guards Johnson? Caleb, RJ. Caleb. Yeah, I was going to say Anthony Caleb. Harris. It's not going to be RJ. He's too little to guard that guy. Probably be Caleb. Yeah, it'll definitely be Caleb. Which Caleb, Caleb and Anthony Harris. Anthony Harris could guard him too. I think anybody can beat anybody, but the problem is, and say, and when you start wondering if certain teams are any good, was NC State any good? No. I mean, they beat Carolina in Raleigh. I mean, I think NC State's a good team. Uh, They're what three and Devin, six. Okay, well, they've Devin got a good player. They got, yeah, they got they got. I mean, they, Devin Daniels is good, and I think Shaq Moore is good. He's just learning, just as more, most freshmen do, and they have two great bigs. Great, great bigs. bigs. No. And compa- compared to the in the ACC, they have good bigs. The, I think they're the, I think the them being the whatever their record, they're underperforming. Look, just because your mic's the loudest big. doesn't mean you're right. If <laughs> <laughs> Manny Bates is a great big, I'm one of the best three point shooters. He's you've the ever best seen. shot blocker in the country. But I think I get I think the matchups is is key here because like the first matchup in Raleigh was state. Helms was at the three, that stretch four. UNC really couldn't counter that. They lose the game. What happened on Saturday? North Carolina was able to pound the ball down low. He had no chance against Brooks and Sharp and Baycott. So what they do? They had to put both bigs in. And when Bates and Funderburk were both in there, State just didn't have the offense. Right. And so they couldn't keep up. So, that mean, you know, it's going to be the same thing with Pitt. If, if Pitt's able to score – and they can defend effectively enough with that small lineup because they do. They have, you know, they play two guys that are six six and one guy six eight. Uh, but if Carolina can exploit that and force, you know, Capel's hand, things switch in UNC's favor. If not, what does Roy do? And does Roy play significant stretches at the four uh, with Leakey there? I don't, we haven't seen it. I mean, we've seen it some, but not not for significant stretches. The issue, you Carolina's, Carolina's issue is if they're fully engaged, they're top four in the ACC. But they're not ever fully engaged for the most part. So one or two players are. If they go to Pitt and they're fully engaged, if Leakey's fully engaged, and by that I mean playing hard, playing consistent, and not disappearing for long stretches, then I think – and they effectively pound the post like Greg talked about. And they can beat – just about anybody. I, I don't even want to know. They had a chance to, to beat Florida Virginia State. Game. Florida State didn't have their best player. 
Think yeah, about it, Carolina true. took. Well, I don't know. Like, what happened to Carolina when their best player didn't play last year? I mean, I don't know. The ACC is just a mess. The question is, and we got to get out of here. This has been going long enough. Greg, is Carolina a tournament team? And what do they have to do from here on out to be one? Win a quad one game. Yeah. I mean, they've got to capitalize it. They, they need to win at Pitt. They need to win at Clemson. Um, and at Duke. If, yeah. They got to take I mean, that's the thing. Duke's fringe top 100 net. But yet, might, right. those are almost bad losses if you don't win those games. Um, but if, if you don't win at Pitt, you don't win at Clemson, well, now you're going to have to beat Florida State. Now you're going to have to beat Louisville. Now you're going to have to go up to Charlottesville and win that game. So you have to take care of business against these games that you, you can with it being Pitt and Clemson. And hopefully, I mean, Clemson, I, I don't know what happened to them, but they look like world beaters. And then all of a sudden, I mean, they've looked horrible since they came back from their break. So uh, we're talking about them as a Q1 win right now with it being on the road, but <laughs> they're going to have to close a lot better than they've played the last two weeks. Ben Palm has them fought to finish 11 and 8 in the conference. Is that a tournament team with the, how bad the ACC is this year? It's like an eight seed, yeah. Tommy, let's end with predictions and then, and then name this thing. What's the predictions you want to make? Pitt's game? Pittsburgh? Yeah, Pitt's game. I got, I got UNC by six tomorrow. You wrote the preview. Uh, I think UNC loses by four. Seven, I'll go 79-75. How about that? Hey, if you bet on Carolina this year, you'd probably lose your <laughs> rear end. I don't know. I think – I just don't see what? Carolina going on the road to win. I think That's Carolina what? loses by six. Well, then we agree. What do you – I mean, No, I'm not talking pockets. about – I'm not talking about your pockets. I'm talking about in general. Greg, you have to cover the game, so I'll save you unless you want to make one. No, nah, uh, Ken Palm's got Carolina winning by one. I'm, I'm kind of with Luke here. I, I think uh, North Carolina has showed me enough the last two weeks, even against some subpar opposition. Uh, I think North Carolina wins this one by five. We shall see. It's I got Greg on my side. That's always a good person. To yeah, that's the only one that matters. Absolutely. I got Look, boys, it, it's been here. fun. Yes, me and you, Gregory, <laughs> and I'm going to get on you when this is over. I'm going to ask you a major, and it's definitely not technology. You've been listening to the Inside Carolina Dot com on the beat podcast i've been your host tommy ashley gregory hall luke buxton and of course greg barnes we're sponsored by johnny t-shirt rate us review us subscribe all that good stuff we'll see you around thanks boys thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. brought to you by johnny t-shirt.com where to go for your next tar heel gear purchase What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner the first. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now, it is a do-bet. Do averaging 29 and 11. God, shit. what'd it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Forward, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing.